If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 98. All right. So if you're joining us for the first time, we are ending a series that we've been in for the past uh, four weeks now, uh, the carols of Christmas. And we've looked at one popular Christmas carol each week. Today, we finished that with joy to the world. So we're going to look at joy to the world and the, the psalm that inspired it. It was written by Isaac Watts. And Isaac Watts studied Psalm 98 and it inspired him to write joy to the world. So let's read Psalm 98 together. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth with jo- into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that your word stands true. We pray this morning that as we look at it and the song that it inspired, God, that our hearts would be full of the joy that you have promised to bring us. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. All his people said, amen. Amen. My favorite Christmas movie, I think, would be The Grinch. Yeah. Which one? There's only the one. The Jim Carrey. All right. A dear friend of mine last night told me she hated Jim Carrey and that Grinch, and I am now publicly rebuking her. Rachel. The new Grinch is good too, but there's just something about Jim Carrey being the Grinch that's hilarious to me. Uh, so I love the Grinch, and you know the story of the Grinch, how he hates Christmas, something that's happened to him, uh, and he hates Christmas, and so he dresses up like Santa Claus to steal Christmas. He's, he, and at the end of the movie, he's stolen Christmas, he's on top of the mountain, ready to dump the gifts, and he's waiting to hear the sound of their boo-hooing, because all of the gifts are gone, but instead he hears the sound of singing, and of joy and it changes his heart. And the line from the book, the movies, it says, And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. See, the Grinch learned that Christmas was about more than getting presents and gifts. But, that the, but it's interesting because the story tells us it's not about that, but the story doesn't actually tell us what it actually is about. It says it's not about the gifts and presents, but it doesn't give us an actual answer. See, the Christmas season for us has become this strange phenomenon. This, you know, every other holiday we celebrate on one day, but Christmas we celebrate... It's, a, it's widely debated, sometimes after Thanksgiving, sometimes before Thanksgiving, but we celebrate for a while. 
And it's interesting because we celebrate so long that Christmas seems to have enchanted us. Like the magic of Christmas seems to be a real thing. Which is interesting because our world today is so disenchanted. Right? Because of science and technology and how rational we are and how much we understand the world. We have so been disenchanted. Let me give you a nerdy example for you Star Wars fans, right? To be a, to be a Jedi used to be something mysterious, but now in the prequels you have midichlorians. All right, and now you can scientifically understand who a Jedi is. Some of you got that. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's okay. But our world has become disenchanted, but Christmas somehow seems to, to keep that awe. It keeps for us this mystery and this wonder. It still seems to enchant us. Like every one of us, no matter how old we are, we want to believe. Right? Like we want to believe in the magic of Christmas. We want to. It does something to us. It makes us believe. It, like, like it enchants us. And everyone is trying to figure this out, right? Everyone is trying to figure out what it is about Christmas that is so magical and so enchanting, right? And so the movies, all the Hallmark movies that, that you've been dragging your husbands and making them watch, right? They, they all have an answer. And all the movies, all of them have an answer, right? For some of them, it's family. It's all about being together for the holidays. For some of them, it's just about love. You know, for some of them, the answer is, it's not about giving, it's not about receiving, it's about giving. For some of them, it's about sacrifice. And for some, it's about truly believing. These stories, they warm our hearts. They, They make us laugh and then they turn and make us cry and then they make us laugh again. But they all leave us with this sort of longing, a longing for more, an aching, an aching for something bigger, something deeper, something wider, something past the veil that we can't see, but we can only feel that it's there. And it's the magic of Christmas. We all feel it. We all know it. This morning, we're going to look at this psalm and this Christmas carol And hopefully we will see where the magic of Christmas comes from. So, joy to the world. Joy to the world is the most popular Christmas carol there is. Fun fact. Which is interesting and kind of ironic because when it was written by Isaac Watts, it was not written as a Christmas carol at all. It wasn't even written as a Christmas song. No, I should have wore a jacket so that I could have a handkerchief right here. My nose has not been running all morning until I got up here. Now it is. So the so Joy to the World, written as a Christmas was not written as a Christmas song, but as a reflection on Psalm 98. And it actually wasn't even written as a song, it was written as a poem. And what's really interesting, and the, that, that it became the most popular Christmas carol, is that it it's not even about Jesus' coming. It has an, oh, oh, look at that. You are so kind right there. Give it up for Patty Hale. I feel like a new man. Born again right there. Okay, so, so it's not even about his first coming. It's about his second coming. So it's so interesting that this has become the most popular Christmas song. And I'll tell you why it has. 
because it reminds us of what Christmas is actually about. It reminds us of what the little baby in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothes has come to accomplish, what he's come to do. That he's not just come to be a baby, right? He's come to grow up and do something. That he's not just, he's not just come, he's come with a mission. He's come to do something. That all the culmination of history comes to this one moment because Jesus has something he's come to do. The song paints for us a picture of the future Jesus is promising to bring. Here's some of these words. It says, enjoy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let earth receive her king. My favorite line, maybe in almost any song, no more let sin and sorrows grow or thorns infest the ground. He's come to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. You see, what's interesting about these things is as you read them, like think about like the Savior reigns, right? Is that true? You'd say, well, yeah, but kind of not. Do, do, do the thorns still infest the ground? Yeah. And so what has happened is that Jesus has accomplished things already that are not yet fully understood or realized. I, I need you guys to grasp this and understand this is a, a helpful kind of theological term, right? Already, not yet. Say that, already, not yet. Hold on to that, right? It's really, really helpful because let's look at each one of these things. Does Jesus reign? Well, yes, he reigns. He's sitting, he's ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, reigning, but not fully because we're awaiting a day when he will return and sit on the throne on earth and reign over the whole world. And so it's already, but it's not yet. Right? Look at the next one. Has earth received her king? Well, some of us have. Some of us have received the king, so it's already true, but it's not yet because there is a day coming when those who have not believed will bow their knees and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They may say he's not now, but they, they will. And so the whole earth hasn't received their king yet. Do sin and sorrow grow? Do thorns infest the ground? Yes, but Jesus has told us that he's defeated sin and the curse by through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so we are still awaiting the day when that curse is fully removed. You see, Jesus has accomplished his mission, but it's not been fully realized. It's not fully here yet. And so joy to the world is painting for us a picture of that final day, the day of the Lord, when his, his work will finally be accomplished. It shows us what this baby has come to do. This baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, the mission that he is trying to accomplish. You see, one of the strangest things about Christmas that we miss and we really miss all year long is answering that question, why did Jesus come? Right? Like, like so simple question, right? Why did he come? Why did this baby come to a manger? Why did the angels, angels announce to the shepherds this, this big thing? Why? why? And I think a lot of times our answers would be things like, well, he came to forgive us of our sin which is true, right? He came to save us, right? Which is true. But what you must see is that his forgiving us, his death on the cross is a means to another end. Jesus did not come just to die on a cross. The cross is a means by which he accomplishes that which he came to do. The cross is not the end game. It's the means. So the question is, what is the mission? What is the end game? Why did Jesus come? Why did he come live a perfect life and die a sinner's death? What is he trying to accomplish? The angel tells us at the very beginning of the story. When the angel tells the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. 
See, Isaac Watts understood it when he, when he studied this psalm and wrote this carol. He understood and it echoes in Psalm 98 into this song when he says, He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. That Jesus has come to bring joy. I don't have to tell you that the world is still cursed, right? You experience it every single day. You go to work and you see the curse. You see people lying and backstabbing. You see broken families. You see people cheating. You see sadness and hurt and pain and poverty. You see the curse everywhere you go. But Jesus has come to replace all of the sadness, all of the hurt, all of the pain with joy. Jesus has come to bring joy to the world. But more than that, he has come to bring joy to you. The first question of the Westminster Confession asks, what is the chief end of man? That is, what is man's purpose? Why are we here? And I love the answer. It says, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You exist to enjoy God. To have joy in him. And Jesus tells us this in his own words, right? Why why did he come? I have come to bring you life and bring it in abundance. You see, the Christian life is not one of boredom. There is this picture that because of how we've acted or whatever that that the world has of Christians sometimes, like we are these stick in the muds. Like we don't know how to have fun, right? That we are so consumed with walking around and being so dignified and so above reproach and holy that we don't ever have fun. And we're just these like monk-like people who are bored out of their mind and we're just committed to being super religious. That is the way the world often looks at us. And sometimes when we stand here in this room, like, let me, let me just tell you this story. I was leading worship one time and I'm playing this song. It's a good song, singing it, you know, eyes closed, singing to Jesus, yeah, making joyful noise, right? It's Okay. And I look out and I see this lady and she's a leader in our church, led music in our church. And she's just standing here like this. I mean, she just sucked the joy right out of me. I mean, it's gone. And sometimes that's us, right? Like God has given us, to, given us joy, said, listen, you're going to be marked by joy, joy to the world. We have joy. And yet sometimes we don't look like people who have joy. We look like sticks in the mud. And no wonder the world looks at us and is like, man, I don't want nothing to do with that. That looks terrible. It shouldn't be that way. I mean, when we read this psalm, that's not the way it sounds, right? Like when the psalm says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, doesn't mean it's got to sound good. It's got to be joyful. We break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre. I have no idea what a lyre is, but I know it's an instrument. We should get one. Because it's biblical. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the seas roar and all that fills it. Let the, the, world, the world and all those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands. We should not clap, though. I've heard it. It's not good. We need classes. Let the hill say, like, when you read this, it is full of joy. Do you know why? Do you know why this psalm is full of joy? Because the psalm is painting for us a picture of the party that was thrown when the warrior king returned home from battle having had victory over his enemies. All right, so here is the king returned home from battle, 
bloody. He's had victory. The people are safe. And now it's time to party and celebrate what the king has accomplished for us. Guys, isn't that not true for us? Hasn't Jesus, our king, accomplished victory for us? And should we not be throwing a party every Sunday, rejoicing in what God has done in Christ for us? That he has gone and done battle with the ancient serpent and has come out on the other side victorious. Though it looked like he died. Well, he did die. It looked like he had lost. Three days later, he was raised from the dead and said, death can't hold me. Death can't hold me. You want to kill me? I'll just come back. And we should be celebrating with joy. Because that is what our king has done. He has secured the victory. It's really the story of Snow White. You know the story of Snow White where uh, she is tricked by the witch to eat the apple. And after eating the apple, she falls under a curse and falls into a deep sleep. And the only way to break the curse is true love's kiss. And that's our story. Don't you know all stories echo our story? All fairy tales point to the true fairy tale. That Eve was tricked to eat some fruit and the whole world fell under a curse. And the only way to break it was not with true love's kiss, but was with true love's pure sacrifice. And now the curse has been broken. But it's already not yet. You see, Jesus came to break the curse and restore the world to the way that it was. He is saying the spell backward and unwinding all that is wrong. Jesus came to bring joy back to the world. But here is our problem. Here's our problem. Here's the reason we sometimes don't experience the joy. We miss out on the joy Jesus brings because we look in the wrong places. All right? We are like the Grinch. We miss out on joy because we don't see where the joy is actually located. We miss it. See, the Grinch believed the magic of Christmas, the joy of Christmas was bound up in the presents and the gifts and the things that you get. But he doesn't see that joy actually transcends the gifts. That even without all of the presents and all of the food and all of the who pudding and the, and the rare who roast beast, joy remained. You see, joy is not happiness. Happiness comes and goes. It's fleeting. It's based on circumstances. You wake up on this side of the bed, you're happy. You wake up on that side of the bed, you're not happy. You have a headache today, you're not happy. You, you, you get a raise at work, you're happy. Your team wins, you're happy, which doesn't happen here a whole lot. All right? Nor does it in Carolina right now, all right? All right? So if we base our happiness on the bingles, we're not going to be happy. Or the Panthers. Maybe just Ohio State will be happy. They're pretty good. OH! That's hilarious. See, happiness is so random, so fleeting. It comes and goes like the wind, but joy remains even when happiness goes. Even when circumstances go wrong, even when everything else in your life goes wrong, you can still have joy. C.S. Lewis describes joy this way. C.S. Lewis is probably the most helpful person I've ever read on understanding joy. He says, joy must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them, happiness and pleasure. The fact that anyone who has experienced it, that is joy, will want it again. And I doubt whether anyone has tasted it 
would ever, if both were in his power, exchange all the pleasures in the world for joy. Have you ever had joy? Have you ever tasted joy? I know you have. And here's the problem. When we taste joy, we desperately want more of it. Like, give me some more of that stuff. I need some more of that joy in my life. And so what do we do? We try to recreate it. Well, I got joy when I did that. So if I do that again, I'll get more of that joy. And we try to go back. We try to, 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 to relive it. But what happens is we realize with every time we're unable to recapture the wondrous feeling of joy that that situation once gave us. Let me give you, let me give you an, an illustration. So every single year on, on New Year's Eve, my family gathers together in Louisville, Kentucky. And before I was born, they were doing this, and they, they always have like a white elephant and all these things. But the one thing that never changes is everyone who plays the guitar gathers around, and, we, and they start singing and playing, okay? And this happened before I was born, but it was this awesome experience, right? And even for me as a kid, it was this transcendent, just wonderful time of just crazy good singing and enjoying whatever. But so now what happens, because we're trying to recapture this moment that we had, every single year, we try to position everyone just right. Right? We'll say, hey, okay, let's time, let's sing, let's sing Old Black Water. No, it's too early in the night for that. You gotta wait. Right? Because it won't have the same effect if you do it now. And so and so we try to recreate it, and every year it kind of just kind of falls a little flat, it falls a little short. And we're always kind of huddling together. Well, maybe we didn't spend enough time. Right? Maybe everybody wasn't focused. You know, and so we try to figure out what can we do to fix this. And the problem is, is we think that is the source of our joy. And when you put the burden of joy on something like that, it never delivers. It never delivers. See, when you're looking at the thing itself to give you joy, it will always fall short. But you know the feeling I'm talking about. You know the joy I'm talking about. And whatever it is for you, right? I can only tell you about my experiences. Maybe for you, it's, it's sitting up in a, in a, in a deer stand and the, as the morning dawns and the, and the dew and the birds begin to sing, and maybe for a moment you're just raptured up and you're like, man, this is joy. <laughs> or maybe, maybe for you it is, it is just wrestling with your kids. Or maybe, maybe for you it is, uh, you know, the Star Wars series and going on midnight release. Anybody that wants to go, just let me know. We're going to go. All right. But whatever, what is it for you that is just experience? Maybe it's going on vacation. Maybe it's the cruise, right? Whatever it is for you, we're in that moment doing that thing, but it's like time stands still, right? It's like the sun's not moving. It's just like you are raptured up and eclipsed up in this moment. And it's like, it's timeless and it's just fulfilling. And when you look back, you're like, man, those were the good old days. That was the best. We got to do that again. A moment that when you think about it now, it creates in you a longing, an ache, an aching for more of it. You know, I, so for me, I can picture some of these moments, right? For me, it has often been a cookout and around a campfire with a good, deep conversation. And sometimes I've tried to recreate that. It's like, well, it's all right. Right, but I can picture these moments in my mind of particular people and particular conversation and, and a good fire and just a 
cool fall night. But, but let me tell you the one that really gets me, the one that really creates a longing and an aching in me. Really, I look back, was just, was just a joyous gift from the Lord. When I was growing up, I, I worked at the tire shop with my grandpa, Wilson Tire. And I can picture the, there's this big wooden booth there and uh, an old oil heating stove. You could rub your hands over and the smell of grease in the air. And we'd be sitting out at that table, kind of getting ready for lunch, talk about what we want for lunch. And, and I could hear my grandfather's corny jokes that he used almost every day again and again and again. And could just go back. I remember the old men coming in every day. You know, they came in every day to get their coffee and, and just hearing the stories, uh, them reading the paper and talking about the news and, and complaining about whoever's in office and complaining about this and, and then telling old stories about back in the day. And I remember just sitting there taking it all in. And it was like time stood still. And as I look back, I ache for having that again just to have one more conversation with my grandfather, just to, to go back and to be in the tire shop and, and, and to have those rubber gloves on my hands and to change a tire and, and to hear him complain and to hear, to hear him make jokes. I long and ache to have it again. But this is where we miss it. Because all of you can picture in your mind right now the thing that it is for you, the longing and ache, the thing that just gave you such joy. And you think if I can really recreate the moment or go back in time or if I can have that again, oh boy, would I have joy. But you see, these moments for us were not the source of our joy. The reason they create this longing and aching in our heart is because they were but signposts pointing us past the thing itself onward and deeper and further in still to the deeper, more real thing that it was pointing to. That's real joy. See, these moments in our lives, they were not joy. They were but a foretaste of joy. And so that longing and that aching is meant to point us past them to something deeper. The signs are beckoning us onward to the source of living water, to the land across the sea that we will one day inhabit, that we will have joy like we have never known. You see, the greatest joys in your life are actually signs saying that there is something better yet, something more, something deeper, something more fuller, something more satisfying than even that thing. You see, and the, our problem is, is we miss that. We miss that. And so we think that the sign, that thing is what gave us our joy. And so we're like, oh, we got to get more of that. And so we chase after that. This can almost explain every one of our problems. And when you look at other people, and it will explain for you their problems. You see, some of you chase money. Some of you chase popularity. Some of you chase image or status. Some of you chase fun and you buy all kinds of toys. Some of you chase family. Some of you chase relationships. Some of you chase sex. Because you've had a foretaste of one of these things. You've imagined it in your mind, if, oh, that's the good life. If I could have that, oh boy, that would bring me joy. You are being fooled because the foretaste was not the source of the joy in the thing that you experienced. It was but a signpost pointing you to the real joy. And so we're running in the wrong direction. Think about it. It's the reason people have affairs because it promises them joy. 
It's the reason people steal money because it promises them joy. It's the reason people are strung out on drugs because it promises them joy. It's the reason girls starve themselves so that they can be skinny enough for their Instagram pictures because it promises them joy. And they think if I, because they've tasted just a little bit of it and it felt so good that if they could feast on it, oh boy. But we don't realize they're just signposts. Let, let me say it this way. The most magical place in the world, without a doubt, I don't care what you say, is Disney World. All right? If you haven't been, you need to go. Disney World is the most magical place in the world. Okay? And so when growing up, our, my sisters cheerleaded, and they got to go a whole bunch for competitions and got to go for free. So I've been like 10 times. And as a kid, you know, the drive there is always longer than the drive back. The drive back seems to go like that. The drive there seems to take an eternity. And we're driving, and you're just long, you're looking out the window all the time. Like, Daddy, where are we at? We almost there? We there yet? We there? But we in Georgia. We need to go to sleep. Right? This is before portable DVD players. We have coloring books. All right? And so we're in the car looking out the window. Florida, 300 miles. Dad, we almost there. No, we ain't. You need to go to bed. Cross the Florida line. Oh, we're almost there. And then you begin to see the signs for Orlando. Orlando, 100 miles. Oh, we almost there. Oh, Orlando, 50 miles. But then as you get closer to Orlando, the signs change. They're no longer just these lame green signs, Orlando, whatever, this many miles. No, they change. Disney World, 10 miles. But it's not just one of those little green signs, right? It is like this giant billboard that has a roller coaster busting through it and swirling around. And it's got like the Tower of Terror crashing down. It's like 3D and like animals are coming out. And you're just like... Yes, please. We're so close, right? And imagine we're going and you see one of those signs. You're like, yeah. And dad pulls the car over, gets all the kids out. Come on, gets the cooler, gets the strollers, goes here. And we're here at the sign. Kids, you having fun? But That's what we do. We stop at the sign and miss the thing it's pointing us to. We think our joy is bound up in, the, in, the, in those little tastes that we've had. If I can just get more of those, then I'll be good. But the signs are good. They're tasteful. They're foretaste. They're an appetizer pointing you to something better. We've got to look past the signs. You see, Jesus came to bring you joy, and we miss out because we think the sign is it. I love the way Lewis says it. He says, it's not that God thinks your desires are too strong. Hear me this. This is why people think Christians are boring and lame. It's not that God thinks our desires are too strong. Like we want more than he's willing to give us. No, he thinks our desires are too weak. He says we fool around with sex and drink like it's some big awesome thing. When he is offering a vacation at the sea, we play in the mud. He's saying, I know you think this is great, but I've got so much more for you. And that is our greatest problem. We take the good gifts of God and think the gifts are the source of joy. And so we keep pressing into the gifts, pressing into the gifts, pressing into the gifts, thinking that in them we'll have the magic and wonder and joy that they offer, but we miss them because they're cut off from the source of joy. You see, Jesus came to bring joy, but instead of looking to him, we look to the things he gives us. You see, if you want to understand the magic of Christmas, if you want to be enchanted, if you want a joy that will last all year long, 
Look to where the signpost points. The longing and the aching in your heart and in your soul and in your bones is meant to point you to Jesus. You see, Jesus is the source of all of our joy. That is why he came. The point of Jesus coming, the point of the cross, is so that in the end, you don't just get forgiveness, you get him. You get to know the God who spoke the world into existence. You get to know the God who invented every pleasure. You get to know the God who has given you the foretastes of joy. I love this quote from the Grey Havens. Man, I, I, if we had time, I would love to just sit in this quote for a little while. It says, there is more joy in the longing for the sight of God than to behold or be filled by anything else. There is more joy in the law, lo- in just the longing, not even getting him, just the longing for him. There's more joy in the longing for the sight than to behold or be filled by anything else. You want joy? Look to where the signposts point. Look to the source. Two things. We'll be done. How do you get joy in your life? You're here this morning and you say, Brent, I've had those aches, I've had those longings. You're saying there's something better, something deeper, something past it, that these things won't do it. I've got to go deeper. How do I get that? Let me tell you how. Two things. First, you've got to actually walk with Jesus. Like you've got to know him. You've got to pray him. You've got to meditate. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to actually know who he is. Go deeper and deeper into him. If God is a source of joy, you've got to know him first. And you must come through Christ to know him. The second thing thing we miss is you must begin to see that the blessings in your life now, those foretastes, those signposts of joy are actually gifts from God to produce joy and a longing and aching for the real thing. Here's what I mean. Here's what we often do. We think we make this distinction in our minds that there are spiritual things and secular things. There are spiritual things like church and the Bible and and communion and and fellowship. But then there are secular things like football, like uh, kayaking, like going to the restaurant, like music. Those are secular things that we just have to do. That is wrong thinking. That is absolutely wrong. We miss out on the joys that God has given us because we think that way. Okay. I'm going to mess with one of our hymns, so forgive me. But the hymn, which I love, is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. There's one word we need to change. It says, the things of earth grow strangely dim. The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think we should change the word dim. The things of earth grow strangely bright in light of his glory and grace. Because the things of the world, when done how God has commanded us to, to use them rightly and well and with wisdom, are gifts that God has given us. Your family is a gift of God that as you understand the gift, that he's the giver of the gift, becomes even more brighter. See, the things of the world are God's gift to you. They're not secular things, they're spiritual. And the longing and the ache that I have of thinking about sitting in the tire shop with my grandfather is a gift of God, a foretaste for something that's even greater than that. You see, if if the things we love most are but signs, can you imagine what the real things will be like? If the greatest joys you've ever experienced in this life are, are but an appetizer, can you imagine what God is holding in store for us? 
See, when, when, when you take the gift and forget the source, when you take the gift and forget the giver, here's what happens. The gift terminates on itself. It is only as enjoyable as it possibly can be. And it stops right there. Okay? It terminates on, him, on itself. But when you understand that your Father in heaven is the giver of all good gifts, when you understand that it is him who is giving these things, they become strangely bright. All right, so, so let, let me give you an example. Someone gave me a gift card. I've never been to Ruth's Chris until someone gave me a gift card, right, to go to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. And I got a bone-in a filet mignon, which, let me tell you, is a little bite of heaven, okay? This thing came out on a 500-degree plate, and, and as I ate that thing, understanding the giver of this gift, that God was good to bless and to give me this thing, let me tell you, it didn't terminate on itself. It spiraled up. It spirals up into greater enjoyment because I'm not looking at the things that give me joy, but rather God is giving me joy in the gifts that he's given me. And I enjoy God as I enjoy his gifts. As he blesses, I enjoy him through the things he's given me. But we're not looking to the stake is never going to satisfy you no matter how good it might be. But God does and we enjoy him in the gifts. See, when you try to recreate circumstances, when you think of, if I have the same bonfire or play this music again and again and again, then it will, it will bring joy. The problem is that that was a foretaste and I put the burden of joy on it and it will never deliver. The reason you don't have joy is because you've been looking for happiness. The reason you don't have joy is because you've been looking to the things themselves to bring you the joy. But you need to look deeper past the things. Do you want to have joy this holiday season, a joy that lasts? Let me tell you what you need to do. In the busy chaos of this season, all the hustle and bustle, slow down for a minute. And you know that old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one. Man, do that. Like look at all the things that God has blessed you with that you take for granted. Like the other night, I, I do this all the time. It's kind of creepy. But like my girls will be sleeping and I'll go and just like get right in their face and just stare at them and start crying. Just taking in how beautiful they are now, just how blessed I am to have them. Just like holding their hand and they're not moving. I don't even care if they wake up, right? I want to just get in there and cuddle them. I mean, you just look at all the things in your life that the Lord has given you as his good gifts and kindness toward you. Take those things in and realize your children will never satisfy you. Your house will never satisfy you. All the money you could have never satisfy you. But when you understand that God is the good giver of those gifts to you, man, they spiral up into greater joy. They are signposts pointing you onward. You see, here's the thing. We have in part now what Jesus has accomplished. The joy that he's bringing to the world, we have in part, but one day we will have it in full. Right now we have the signposts pointing us onward and we can only imagine and taste the things that are awaiting us. Jesus has come to bring joy. But for now, enjoy the gifts as you enjoy the giver of them. See, Jesus didn't come so that we could walk around like monks, so that we could walk around and abstain from all pleasures. Jesus came to bring you joy. Not happiness, a joy that transcends all of it, that on your worst day you can still have. 
He came so that the aching and the longing of our hearts would finally find what they are looking for. Because, guys, let me tell you this. For those of you who haven't been listening and don't want to be here, listen to this. Your hearts won't rest until they rest in him. Your hearts will not rest. You will you will work your tail off trying to find things to, to fill you with joy, but your heart will never rest until it rests in him, until it rests in Jesus. And when it rests in Jesus, you get everything else thrown in. If you want the other things of the world without him, you don't get those either. They won't be gifts. They won't be joyous. But if you take the giver of the gift first, you get everything else thrown in. And they grow strangely bright in the light of his glory and his grace. In the very last book of Narnia, the last battle, there's this unicorn named Jewel, who of course is a talking unicorn. They die and they go to what's called true Narnia or heaven. And, she, and Jewel says this, and this is going to be our heart's cry one day. I have come home at last. This is my country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for my whole life, though I never knew it until now. And one day that will be us. See, it is said in Whoville that the Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. That is the day he learned the magic of Christmas was not found in the presence, but that joy was found somewhere further and deeper still. When you see that Jesus came to bring you ultimate joy and that he was willing to go to the cross and die to get that joy for you, then and only then will your heart be like the Grinch's. Only then will your heart grow, grow large enough to hold all of the magic of Christmas and all of the joy Jesus has come to bring. And so let's sing joy to the world, to the one who has brought joy to our hearts, to the one who himself is the very magic of Christmas, the source of joy. Let's pray. Father, the joy to the world says, let every heart prepare him room. And God, I want you, to, I ask you this morning, if you would press upon all of our hearts to answer the question, has your heart prepared him room? Is there room in your heart for him and the joy that he brings? Or have you filled your heart with so much stuff that there is no room for real joy? That you have been trying to get joy for so long that you filled it with counterfeits and counterfeits. You've been filling it with appetizers. You've been filling it with the bread that comes before the meal. God, would you show them that you've come to bring the full course? That they need to empty their hearts of all the things they've tried to satisfy themselves in and find their rest in you. God, this morning for the rest of us who, who know Jesus, who walk with him, God, would you help, help us in this Christmas season to take that longing and take that aching that we feel over those experiences and moments we've had and understand that it's not about trying to have that again, but like living in the longing, living in the aching, sitting down in it and realizing and knowing that, oh, God has something greater for us and that this is to point us forward, point us onward to farther and further out, deeper still that there is something greater beyond the sea. God, would you bring joy to our hearts? If you're in this room right now, I want to encourage you at this time of response, I'm going to be up here. Some of our deacons are going to be up here. If you, whatever you're going through in this holiday season, 
you don't know this kind of joy, if you don't know Jesus, let me just talk to you about that. I would love to just, just talk with you about that. If you need something to pray about, this is a stressful time of the year. I would love to pray with you. They would love to pray with you. However the Lord would lead you to respond in this time, whether it be stand there and sing or come and pray, come and kneel at these steps and pray, I just encourage you to follow the Spirit's prompting and do that. God, give us courage to follow you. In Christ's name we pray. All those people said, stand and sing.